What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Black Health Academy podcast. But this is our special podcast within a podcast entitled Obedience, right? And so if this is your very first time tuning in to Obedience, then you are essentially five episodes behind. So if you enjoy what you hear during this episode, be sure to go back and listen to the past five episodes. Now, how do you find the episodes of Obedience? Because again, this is the Black Health Academy's platform. I'm Lisa A. Smith, the founder of the Black Health Academy and also the host of the Black Health Academy podcast along with my co-host, Ms. Get Fit With Jay. But what I started at the top of 2020 was another podcast called Obedience. So essentially, Obedience is a podcast within a podcast. So in order to find those other five episodes of Obedience, you would just scroll through our episodes or on whatever platform you're listening to this on, just search for it. Um, But search for Obedience. Um, And it's always going to say Obedience episode number whatever and then the title of that episode so this particular episode is obedience episode number six title self-discipline now these solo episodes that I do are always centered around um, self-development personal growth personal enhancement and I like to share with you some lessons that I'm kind of learning along the way on my journey as an entrepreneur as an ever-evolving human and um, I, I always have moments of enlightenment like throughout my week throughout my month so obedience is a monthly podcast only so I do one episode a month I started in 2020 we are in June of 2020 this is the sixth episode in the sixth month of the year right on schedule Um, and it's perfect because again the title of this episode is self-discipline and so I'm really excited to share with you some lessons I've learned around self-discipline and self-control over you know the past several years of my life but especially actually within the last two weeks of my life and some key conversations I've had with some key people in my life. So I'm going to share a bit of those conversations and then I'm going to kind of share with you my personal experience with developing self-discipline. It's one of the things that I take a high amount of pride in because I really believe I have a lot of it and I and I also know that it's a characteristic or a trait that doesn't come easy for a lot of people. Or maybe it comes easy for you in one area and not another. And so essentially, how do you develop self-discipline and self-control across the spectrum of your life, right? Um, Maybe you are great being disciplined with your money, but not so much when it comes to your health or your food, right? Maybe you're great at being disciplined with working out, but not so much when it comes to drinking water. Who knows, right? But how can you develop that? And I'm going to tell you how I did it for myself. So this isn't necessarily a masterclass on, you know, best practice practices based on years of study and research and academia. This is strictly anecdotal, okay? But I believe a lot of you will be able to relate with some of the things that I share in this episode about self-discipline. As usual, I'm going to share with you what I'm sipping on because these solo episodes typically go about an hour or longer. And of course, I don't have a co-host, so I'm doing all the talking into this mic by myself. Sometimes I get a little parched tongue gets dry and so I always like to warn you that there will maybe a few interruptions a few moments of silence that sound like this as I take a sip of something to wet my palate and keep going today I'm sipping on water Um, I'm here I just got back home it is 
re approaching about 85 degrees here in downtown Detroit. It's a pretty hot day. So I'm sipping on some lemon water. Typically when I'm recording these episodes, I'm sipping on some wonderful hot tea, my second favorite beverage uh, after water. But today it's some lemon water. I always buy organic lemons, slice them, and I always slice off the rind, even though the lemon is organic, even though I've soaked the lemon in uh, vinegar and water. I soak all my produce in vinegar and water to get extra film and gook off. But when I put uh, slices of lemon in my water, I still cut the rind off so um and just have kind of the flesh floating around in the water so a little fun plant-based pro water tip for me i don't know uh, but let's get into it i'm excited about this episode super dope conversations i've had in the past couple of weeks and so it got me to thinking and i knew it was almost time to record another episode of obedience and so this came right on time quite timely so let's dive into it i think um I will, I will start recommending that you actually bring a notepad or take some notes or, you know, you might be listening to this while you're working out, while you're driving, whatever, um, but maybe bookmark it and come back to it because I'm actually, I always try and share maybe some best practices at the end of each episode. And so I have three of them for you today. Um, I'm also going to pose a couple questions, hopefully thought provoking questions for you to ask yourself, you know, to ponder about. As you go about your life, you know, after this episode. And so I'm um, hoping, hoping something resonates. Please drop me a line if it does. You can always email me at hello at lisaangelsmith.com. Hello at lisaangelsmith.com. Or just drop a comment on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. Thank you in advance. Let's get into it. Obedience episode six, self-discipline. So I have a therapist. I've been pretty open and verbal about that. If you've ever been to one of my lectures, been in one of my courses, if you've ever been a client of mine, then you probably already know this. But I have a therapist who I now see biweekly. I've been seeing my therapist now for several Oh, no, we're, we've passed the year mark, I think, actually. So, yeah, it's over a year now. Um, I didn't start off bi-weekly. I started off weekly, and then I graduated to bi-weekly. She won't let me go down from that, though. I told her maybe we can go to monthly because now it's, like, super maintenance. But she's like, no. So I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I see my therapist bi-weekly. Um, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, I am being, we've been doing telehealth, okay? So I see her, you know, virtually face-to-face every two weeks and so I have not missed a beat in our sessions I think in the year in some months that I've been seeing her I've literally only had to reschedule one session one time that's it um uh, but other than that we've been really really consistent um and so it's been helpful you know consistency is the key ingredient to getting results out of anything you're trying to do and so that also goes with therapy and so um I've been consistent And our conversations are always great. So I'm going to share a bit of a conversation that her and I had just this past Friday. Um, So I was chatting with her and I was telling her my fear about what's coming next in my life. And what I mean by that is I, everything is going well for me. Okay. Now in the world, right, we're in the middle of a lot that's going on. You know, people are dying at exponential rates due to, you know, the pandemic and COVID-19, um, there is a huge surge right now in the fight for racial justice, um, anti-racism, 
right? Um, and so there are protests going on. There's rallies going on. We're in the middle of a presidential election. And so that's been fueling a lot of rhetoric um, in our media. And so there is really a lot going on that is not the norm like these are things that you know the 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 economy is depressed these are things that we don't even see on a yearly basis uh you know or even a decade basis right like this is the first pandemic in my lifetime right i'm in my mid-30s and so the, the this is a very unprecedented time for multiple multiple reasons um and so while i am fully aware of all that. I want to preface this by saying I'm fully aware of everything that's going on in the world that's not quite right, right, right with the world. All of our lives, all of our lives have been uprooted and we are all being forced to establish a new normal. But with that being said, with that being said, I told my therapist last Friday, I said, listen, I am significantly worried basically about when the boot is going to drop. I am significantly worried about, you know, some bad news or bad occurrence really being right around the corner in my life. Why? Because things are so smooth for me right now, you know, um, in business, in my companies and the companies that I run, things are going well in my personal life. My health is great. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, almost as healthy as I've ever been, working out regularly, you know, eating a whole food plant-based diet, drinking my water, you know, being consistent with that. Financially, you know, I'm not worried. I'm comfortable. I'm keeping money coming in with my companies and, I'm, you know, everything is paid up to date and everything is rocking and rolling there financially. I have a vision for the future, get, you know, on track with that. Um, relationally, you know, my relationship with my parents, with my sibling, with my good friends, relationship with, you know, friends, family, even business colleagues are great. We're checking in on each other. We're chatting. We're laughing. We're recommending and referring each other to different opportunities. Like just my professional ecosystem is thriving. Um, and then love, right? I am in a phenomenal relationship that I'm really happy with. And that's well, and like really all the pieces have fallen into place. Okay. And so I'm, I'm existing in this place that I'm really happy about. And at the same time, I feel like I'm on the edge of my seat or I'm walking on eggshells waiting for something to go wrong. Because we know the rule, if something can go wrong, it does. And um, inevitably, that has to be the realistic next step is that something is going to come and throw something off track because it's going too great, right? And she completely shut me down. So check this out, guys. So my therapist was like, uh, you know, like I, I hate to rain on your parade. I hate to bust your balloon, but she said, everything isn't perfect. <laughs> she said, everything isn't going perfect for you, Lisa. Everything isn't going great. You just adapt well. Things have been going wrong in these past couple of months, but you, because you have such great follow through, you have been able to adapt and pivot to where basically it doesn't impact you and the way that turns your life upside down. And she said, the more 
follow through you have, the more success you have through your hard work, self-discipline and self-control. She said people who take care of themselves are more likely to be more successful. So essentially, she really bust my bubble and she really helped me come to terms with the fact that, you know, when things are good, they can stay good like indefinitely. But staying good indefinitely doesn't mean that things don't go wrong or things don't come up. It's just what skill sets, what characteristics, what traits do you possess to navigate those rough waters so that you don't stay there long and that you can continue to view your life as going good. And that's what I, well, that's, that was my takeaway. And of course we dug deeper into this and my mind was literally blown. I had to take my phone out. I, I was taking notes because I was like, oh my God, you're so right. Right? Like it's uh, like anybody, like any other entrepreneur, like things got turned upside down with my my classes and my courses when the pandemic hit and the world went into a, a quarantine and a shutdown and I had to cancel in-person classes and, you know, um, you know, clients, you know, personal training clients, nutritional coaching clients, you know, were having to cancel because they needed to reserve or preserve, preserve monies. Right. Um, I was single when the quarantine started. Right. And so there was so much um, that did happen in the last couple of weeks. And. But I was able to navigate it. And so looking back, I was able to see, you know, after this conversation with my therapist and looking back, I was able to see how I was able to quickly pivot, right, to get back on track. And so things wouldn't be inevitably thrown off, right, forever, right, to where I felt like my life was in shambles and I didn't know how I was going to climb out of this mess, right, whether it be my health. You know, luckily I was doing the work, um, with, with regard to staying healthy before the pandemic hit and this pandemic, you know, targeted people who had pre-existing conditions, right? So I did that work before the pandemic hit. Financially, I did that work before the pandemic hit. Business, I did that work before the pandemic hit. Um, Self-development and position myself to find love. I was doing that work before the pandemic hit. And so it all stemmed from self-discipline. So one of the things that she said was my self-discipline. She talked about me being healthy. She, you know, talked about um, how how committed and disciplined I am with regard to my health and how healthier people are more confident people um, and people who take care of themselves are more likely to be successful. And she was kind of running down the stats and the science behind that. And so it really got me thinking about self-discipline and what she said about self-discipline. And that's kind of the catalyst for this episode today uh, because she was able she was able to help me eradicate fear about around literally waiting for something to go wrong listen that's so dysfunctional in hindsight but I think a lot of us are so traumatized from life and experiences and occurrences that if something can go wrong it does we live by that like the rule, the golden rule, if something if something can go wrong, it does, which means something's going to go wrong once it goes right, right? Balance, yin and yang, that's how the universe is balanced out. And so here I am sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for a big boot to drop. I don't mean something going wrong like small. I was waiting for a big boot to drop and now I'm no longer waiting for that. I've settled into the fact that my life is comfortable 
every area of my life I've poured into. All of my buckets are full. No bucket is low. And I'm and I feel very confident in being able to maintain the levels of each one of those buckets. Right. I don't feel no bucket has a leak. Right. I pour into my relationships, my businesses, my finances, you know, my 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 faith and my mental and emotional health. Um, I pour into my relationships. I pour into every area consistently like clockwork because of my self-discipline. Uh, and because of that, when things do go wrong, listen carefully, when things do go wrong, I barely notice. And that's the part that she helped me to see. Things have been going wrong, Lisa. You just haven't noticed. And so you're living on this cloud, rightfully so, where you're just kind of floating through and navigating these things when they happen. And it's truly no big deal, right? You don't give them the weight that you may have given them before you were the person you are today, right? And so I think sometimes we give weight to things um, too much weight to things when they go wrong. And I think I've been able to reach a place in my life where I don't give weight to those things when they go wrong. And so let's get into where my self-discipline comes from. Um, because I think I was having another conversation with a client actually this week also, and he and I were talking about this exact same thing. And he, he said this, he's like, you know, I am waiting for, he, he was basically voicing the exact same thing that I was voicing. And I was like, this is so crazy that you say this because I just had this conversation with my therapist. So I was able to share with her the lesson. You know, I was able to share with him the lessons that she shared with me. And, um, we kind of talked about, you know, what, why do why are we dysfunctionally waiting for things to go wrong? But let me put it in the perspective that he put it in because he was strictly talking about business. I was just talking about any area of my life could blow up at any moment. And then he was talking about business. So let me let me take you through the conversation that he and I had, um, which is interesting because we had the same perspective on something that we didn't even know that we discovered. But here it is. As entrepreneurs, um, he and I both, we uh, love following and studying other entrepreneurs origin stories right how they started what was their upbringing like and kind of their journey through building their business or their company you know to success to failure whatever right and so he and I um follow and listen to some of the same people in the entrepreneurial world in the self-development space and the motivational space and so we started going back and forth about different people that we listen to Tony Robbins uh Dr. Eric Thomas Lisa Nichols and we started talking about their origin stories. And we, we started saying, you know, one of the things we notice about these individuals is that they've hit rock bottom. And I mean, rock bottom, homelessness, eating out of dumpsters, you know, uh, overdrawn, uh, drawn accounts. They can't feed their children. These are individuals, you know, Steve Harvey talks about sleeping in his car as he was traveling to do comedy shows. And so these are individuals who we've heard their stories multiple times because they're very transparent and open about their stories as they climb the letter to success in their respective industries. And both he and I, both me and my client were, you know, in our coaching session recently and we were both like, I'm not sure if I can be, well, this is what he was saying and this is what I used to believe, but I'm not sure if I can reach the level of greatness that I um, aspire to reach because I don't have a dumpster diving story, 
right? So for me personally, I, you know, wasn't raised with a bunch of money, but I definitely don't have a traumatic period in my life where I reached super rock bottom, whether that been like with my mental health or whether that been homelessness or like flat, flat broke or like some super duper traumatic experience, you know, in my life. Like I have friends who have been raped. I've had, you know, friends who've been molested, you know, poor, like poor, like no food, lights off, like all of these things. And so I don't have that story and neither does he. And so we both were talking about our fear of our business is not being able to be successful because it seems like one of the ingredients in the recipe to success is rock bottom, right? Like that rock bottom is what propelled them to work harder than ever. It's what gave them the self-discipline. It's what gave them the drive. It's what gave them the motivation. And, you know, we were saying, listen, we don't have that. And so will we be able to truly reach a high level of success if we don't have those dumpster diving stories, right? So this is his current fear. And he's like, so I'm basically waiting for something to happen because I'm he's a business coaching client of mine. So I coach him in his business, not in health. And so we, you know, we are, we're always talking business, obviously. And so he's like, I'm waiting in my business because I've helped him start his coaching business. He's like, I'm waiting in my business. He's like, I feel like something is just right around the corner to push me to rock bottom so it can propel me to greatness, right? And so my job as his coach, because I used to feel the exact same way, was to reassure him and educate him on why that was complete nonsense, why you should not be waiting for, you know, something bad to happen around the corner to push you to rock bottom so that it can propel you to greatness. But it makes a lot of sense. Number one, it's stories that we hear um, from successful people literally all the time, literally all the time. And it's nothing wrong with that. It's their story. It is what it is. Um, and so, but it had developed this narrative in our head that that's, that's the, one of the ingredients to success. Um, and I'm talking great amounts of success. I'm talking about household name success. I'm talking about multi-million dollar success. I'm talking about multiple companies. You know, you're in high demand success. These people have that level of success, you know, Netflix specials and, you know, have taken companies public and like just insane amount of success. Um, but they all have these dumpster diving stories. And so I share with him what my therapist shared with me. Uh, and that um, you don't have to be waiting for the bottom to drop out of your business so that you can, you know, once and for all shoot for greatness. Uh, you probably like me have those characteristics that allow you to navigate troubled waters better. But moreover, the thing that's going to keep you in the game and that is going to ensure that level of success that you're aspiring to, one of those things is going to be self-discipline. And so um, in that conversation, you know, we had a really good time uh, breaking that down. And he was like, oh, my God, this has been so helpful. He's like, I cannot even believe like like in hindsight, he's like, no. Now, after our conversation in hindsight, I can't even believe I was thinking that dysfunctionally. And I was like, one of the lessons that I learned early on in business is that things don't have to be hard. And I think this is a lesson that um, didn't 
come easy because I thought that, you know, being great, being successful, reaching your goals meant that some part of your journey had to be difficult. Like it, it could just be like building out the product or, you know, taking on a fear of public speak. Like some part of the journey has to be difficult. Like if I'm going to create a product or service that literally generates millions of dollars in my company, then it had to take hard work, sweat, tears, overwhelm for me to create that product in order, in order for it to produce results. Right. Um, and that's untrue. That's untrue. So, you know, my second lesson to him was that it doesn't have to be hard. Um, and I'm going to, you know, pose that same lesson to you guys. It doesn't have to be hard. I need to, I need you to put that on repeat. I need you to post it somewhere. I need you to make that an affirmation. It does not have to be hard. And what is it? Everything you can think of, right? Getting out of debt, you know, losing weight, whatever, building your company, repairing your relationships. Sometimes it will be, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be hard. Okay. So I told him that. And then we got to talking about, and, and I'm going somewhere here. So I hope you guys are following me. But then me and my client, we, so I made him realize number one, that things aren't going smooth for you. Just like they weren't going smooth with me. You just pivot and adapt. Uh, seamlessly and well and so you don't dwell on the rough spots number two it doesn't have to be hard right um, and number three our motivations are different from the leaders and the successful people that we've been following and studying and that their motivation comes from not wanting to go back to where they came from. Steve Harvey doesn't want to sleep in his car anymore. Dr. Eric Thomas doesn't want to dig through trash cans to look for food anymore. Lisa Nichols never wants to take, check her bank account when she's trying to feed her son just to find out it's overdrawn, right? So they don't want to go back there. And so their desire to never revisit that space has given them the motivation and the drive to get after it. And I was telling him, you and I, our motivation is going to be different. And so the question I posed to him is, can you be scared of something you've never experienced? Can you be scared of something that you've never experienced? We, we've maybe never experienced homelessness, but can it be a big enough fear for us to propel us to develop the self-discipline we need to be successful so that we never experience it, right? And so that's one of the ideologies that we kind of toss back and forth during our session this week is that um, can you be motivated by something, by avoiding something you've never experienced? So we're motivated by wanting to avoid poverty, wanting to avoid letting down the people we're responsible for. For example, he's responsible for a wife and a couple of kids. I'm responsible for my parents, my clients, and my community because I've positioned myself in front of them as the leader in plant-based nutrition, right? And so they're counting on me to continue to deliver quality services, lectures, teachings, products, right? For a lot of people in my community, I am the person they listen to for plant-based nutrition. So I am um, indebted to them. I am, um, I, it's my responsibility to stay on top of my game. And so how do I stay on top of my game? How do I stay on top of nutrition science? How do I, how, how am I able to constantly answer questions and show up in such a way to make sure that they feel confident in the information they're getting from me. And so I'm motivated, not because I've used, I've slept, you know, in cars before or I've couch surfed before, but I'm motivated because now I've built a platform um, that I'm responsible for upholding, right? 
And so I'm and to my mom, right? I've told my mom I want to retire her and I want her to come work for me. I want my sister to come work for me. I literally want to build a family business and a family legacy that I can leave to my future child. Um, and so I feel I've said that publicly. I've told them that. Um, I have colleagues that work with me at the Black Health Academy, Jay and Tiff, and I've told them, you know, I want to create something where you guys are working for yourself, you're working for your community, and you don't feel like you're always at risk of losing your livelihood by the hand of someone else through some other company that they built. I want you to feel like you have your own or you at least have the skill sets to have your own. So I need to create those education systems. I need to create those platforms. And so I'm motivated not by a dumpster diving story that I don't want to revisit, but I'm now motivated by the people that I've positioned myself to be responsible for. Okay, and he is motivated by making sure his family, his household um, always is able to live above their means. Right. Um, and so we both were kind of talking back and forth about, you know, being motivated by not going somewhere that you've never been. So there's that part. And it all boils back down, though, to self-discipline. Okay, so hold on. Okay. And so those were the two conversations that became the catalyst for this episode. Now I want to get into, I want to kind of break down self-discipline for me. Um, and as I was thinking through and jotting down my notes for this episode, as I was kind of thinking through how I became the person I became, because I wanted to say that it was just inherent. I don't know. I was just born this way, but that ain't true. The more I thought about it, um, the more I was able to kind of reverse engineer and trace back where literally my obsession with discipline comes from. So let's get into it. So the second half of this episode, it's all going to be about, that was the how, that, that was the why, and this is the how, okay? Okay, so first and foremost, where do I get my self-discipline? And I have two answers. The first is integrity, and the second one is my low tolerance for failure, right? So first, I'm going to focus on integrity. Part of the reason that I have such a high amount of self-discipline is because I literally feel bound by my integrity. Now, it's interesting because I was coaching a nutritional coaching client through the Black Health Academy recently, and one of her homework assignments was to listen to one of my lectures um, inside of the Black Health Academy under our sci-fi tab. So sci-fi stands for psychological fitness. So she had to listen to one of these lectures um, and when we, our, our next session, she said, okay, Lisa, I listened to the audio, um, and you were, you were talking about anxiety and she said, as you were going through the steps to relieve and overcome anxiety, I was kind of like, Hmm, I know this. I know that I already heard this before. I know that she was like, but then you got to the part about integrity. And she said, even when you got to integrity as being another way of overcoming anxiety, she said, I thought. I got a high level of integrity. You know, when I tell somebody I'm going to be somewhere, I, I'm there. When I say, say I'm going to do something, I do it. You know, when I say tell somebody I'm going to do something for them, I do it for them. Um, I have, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I don't steal. I don't con people. I'm not, you know, you know, underhanded. Like people can rely on me. I have a high level of integrity. And she said, but then you said in the audio about having in integrity with yourself. 
She's like, and that's when my light bulb went off. She said, I have always defined integrity as how I show up for other people and never for how I show up for myself, right? And she said, that really triggered me because I will let myself down easily, right? I will let myself down and not think twice about it. She was like, and I never thought about that being a form of integrity, okay? And I said, aha, <laughs> gotcha, right? And so here, <laughs> now I want you to think about um, integrity. When I say my self-discipline comes from integrity, I want you to know that I'm not talking about what, how I show up for other people. I've mastered that part. And maybe you haven't. So maybe you, in listening to this, you, you're going to have to master both, how you show up for others and for yourself. But in talking about me, I've mastered integrity with regard to other people, right? There is literally, as far as I can think, not a client, a friend, a family member, a, a colleague, an acquaintance, or a stranger who can say that I told them one thing and didn't follow through. Okay, that is so important to me. I can't even express it in words how much it means to me to always show up for people in the way in which I say I'm going to show up. Like uh, when, when people book calls with me, whatever time they book the call for, they book a call for 4 p.m. They are getting called at 4 p.m. on the dot. Right. Um, when I say I'm going to be somewhere, if I have to physically meet a client in person, I'm there on time, often early, but definitely on time, like I show up to the point. I remember one time a client, um, something happened where I didn't, I didn't call her or something. It was, a, I don't know what happened. And she was like, I knew something was wrong with you because you weren't here on time. She was like, I didn't even think for a second that oh my God, that's just Lisa being late or ridiculous again. She was like, I knew something had to be wrong because you are, you show up. Like if you don't show up, panic, call 911, there's something going on. And I was so proud of that moment. I'm like, you are so right. Like I literally get anxious. I feel overwhelmed. I start sweating. My heart starts racing at the thought of just not showing up. And that could be, hey, I told you I was going to send you an email or I told you I was going to forward this to you or I told you I was going to call you or I told you I was going to physically be there. Um, I told you I would, you know, give you a reference or refer you to somebody. It could be anything, guys. Like my level of integrity with other people is so high. However, my level, my level of integrity for myself is just as high. Like literally just as high. So I want you to think about this. If you told somebody that you were going to do something like, yeah, I'll be there on Saturday at three and you don't do it. How do you feel? You know, what emotions come up? Now I want you to think about if you told yourself Saturday at three, I'm going to work out, right? Nobody else is invited. Nobody knows I'm going. I haven't told anybody. I just got plans to be at the gym Saturday at three. If you don't go, what emotions come up for that, right? Is it the same emotions that come up when you let let that person down, right? So you told you told Kim you were going to be there Saturday at three. You don't go, and like you're a no call, no show. I'm not talking about like some came up car accident and you had to call her. I'm talking about you just don't show up, right? What emotions do you feel? Now you told yourself that you were going to work out Saturday at three, 
and you don't show up? What emotions do you feel? I can tell you for me, for me, I feel the exact same emotions. And those emotions are guilt, embarrassment, and shame. Guilt, embarrassment, and shame are the emotions I feel when I let myself down. Guilt, embarrassment, and shame are the emotions I feel if I let someone else down. And so I think one of the keys to self-discipline is aligning those two things. Those emotions that come up with regard to letting yourself down and someone else down. Are they aligned? Do you hold yourself in high regard in the same way you hold other people, right? Because when you let Kim down and you feel guilt and embarrassed, you want to apologize a million times and you want to promise you're going to make it up to her and all of that stuff, would you do the same thing to yourself if you let yourself down? Would you apologize a million times, feel shame, and make it up to yourself? Like seriously, right? That's how self-discipline has been able to develop for me so hard is because I feel guilt, embarrassment, and shame when I let myself down. And so, um, and I'm going to give you, and this, is, and this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter how big or small the letdown is. For example, it's very, very important for me that I practice with what I preach. So I teach plant-based nutrition for a living and I teach like some key things in plant-based nutrition. Like for example, drinking half your healthy body weight in water per day, making sure 20 to 25 ounces of that is within the first 30 minutes of waking. It's a very small thing in retrospect, okay? However, if I don't do it, I feel horrible. Right. So I do it every day. I drink half my body weight in ounces of water minimum and I drink 20 to 25 ounces within the first 30 minutes of waking. I have to do this. Now, this is a small thing. Nobody will ever know. Right. If I didn't drink this water, nobody would know if I if I didn't make all my water, nobody would know. But it's very important to me because for me, it's connected to my integrity. I'm preaching it. I'm teaching it. I say it in nearly every lecture that I do. I've written it down a bunch of places. I've sent emails out with that instruction. I have students emailing me, telling me how amazing it is when they do it for themselves. And so when I don't do it, if I don't do it, for whatever reason, this maybe been one or two times in the last year. Like I, And it has to be exceptional. But I feel guilt, embarrassment, and shame. Because I'm letting myself down. And for me, it's tied to my integrity. It's, it's tied to my word, right? Um, so, so it can be something as small as drinking water or it can be something as big as releasing a program or a product, right? And so um, the Black Health Academy, my second company, recently we recently got accreditation, right? So we're accredited and I am creating our first certification program, you know, because now we are certified, right? And so I'm so excited about this. And I announced it to our community in the last week. And everybody's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm telling everybody, listen, you know, I'm creating a plant-based certification program. We're going to certify people in plant-based nutrition. I'm so excited. Um, people are going to get a certification through, from an accredited institution. And I've said, you know, publicly that this thing is going to drop this summer, right? Summer of 2020, this certification program is coming. Now, if for some reason it doesn't, I would feel guilt, embarrassment, and shame because people have said, I can't wait to sign up. People have said, how much does it cost already? They're ready. They want to know pricing. People have emailed me and said, I need to start financially planning for this certification that you're creating, right? So for me, 
that is I've put a lot of responsibility on myself to get her done because I have people literally waiting to take my plant-based certification, get certified through the Black Health Academy, through Lisa A. Smith um, in plant-based nutrition. And so I have to follow through on this thing and I need to follow through specific. That doesn't mean just like eventually I'll have this thing created. No, I've told the people this summer it's coming, which means this summer I have to show up with this thing because it, my word means everything to me. And I need people to be able to believe not just in Lisa, but in the brand, right? They need to know that when we say something's going to get done, it's going to get done. And so whether it's something as small as drinking water or as big as creating an entire certification program, my integrity, I feel so bound by my integrity. And so that's the first um, key for me to having discipline. Now, let's dig a little deeper into this integrity bit for a second. Where do I get my value system around integrity? Okay, now why, why am I so hung up on integrity right now? You would think that's something that most people just, aut it's an automatic value system. Just like health, you would think if you ask anybody like, do you value health? They will be like, yes, right? It's just a general common thing to value, right? But what I found is that if you ask somebody, the, the verbal will be, yeah, sure, of course I value health, of course I value family or whatever. But the actions behind it, right? If you look at their actions historically, they don't necessarily, necessarily match up with that verbal ex expression and so um you would think it's something that people value at a high level but it's not okay at least not based on their behavioral history maybe based on their verbal history so where do I get my value system around integrity well mine comes from I've literally done business and been in various types of relationships right everything from romantic to professional I've been in various types of relationships with people who didn't have or hold integrity at such a high level. And when I say that, these are good people. So I've never been in a relationship with like a kind artist. Somebody was stealing or intentionally lying to me or to clients or to the public. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I've been in various types of relationships, personal and professional, with people who just don't follow through. Like they literally are not finishers. I'm a finisher. I'm a finisher at a high level, but some people are not finishers. And that of course is various reasons. And maybe we should do a whole, literally a whole episode about that. But some people are just not finishers, but I am. And so I really believe in seeing things through. And I've been in relationships with people who don't. And they say one thing and do another. And again, this is not intentional. It's just um, habits. It's just, you know, the, the way their life is set up. And, you know, the consequences haven't been big enough for them to change. Right. And so um, there's no follow through. And in being in these various relationships with people who don't hold uh, themselves in that high regard with regard to integrity, I've personally discovered how much I hate that. <laughs> and for me, it's been traumatic to be, you know, in relationships with people who don't do what they say they're going to do. And so in true trauma informed fashion, I unconsciously responded to that trauma by becoming the exact opposite of what I despised. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again. The reason I've developed such a high value system around personal integrity, so not just how I show up for other people, but how I show up for myself, is because I've been traumatized 
by being in relationships with people who don't do what they say they're going to do. Okay. And in response to that trauma, I've become the exact opposite of what I despise. So I despise people who don't do what they say they're going to do. I despise, and not the people, just the behavior, right? These are good people, right? But I despise that behavior. And so I've taken, made it a personal mission to never be that. If I can avoid it, I'm going to avoid it. Things happen, of course. But like I told you earlier, like it's going to be hard to find a person who's come across my path who can say, I don't follow through. And that includes myself, right? It's going to even be hard for me to say in my personal life that I haven't followed through on something I said I was going to do for me that didn't even involve somebody else. And so I've become the exact opposite of what I despised. And so my value system around integrity has stemmed from trauma. Okay. Now, um, and again, integrity is really important with regard to self-discipline. So because I teach people and I'm going to move on, but let me just beat the dead horse real quick because I teach people um, the importance of adopting a plant based diet. And part of adopting that plant based diet is drinking, you know, a, a, a healthy amount of water. And I think it's important because I value integrity to do what I say. Uh, to do what I teach, right? And so I also drink a healthy amount of water. And because I do it every day, it's created discipline. Does that make sense? So the integrity, literally, the discipline with regard to me drinking water or me exercising or me eating plants every damn day has literally come from my integrity because I told other people to do it and now I don't feel right not doing it. And the consequence of that, and consequence is not a bad word, but the consequence of me doing what I teach has been self-discipline. Okay? All right. Now, the second bit of my self-discipline that I named earlier was lower my tolerance for failure. Now, so again, the formula, the recipe for self-discipline for me is integrity plus uh, a low tolerance for failure equals self-discipline. So now let's talk about this low tolerance for failure. Um, so in Farm to Table, uh, in my signature plant-based course, I have a, a six-week intensive or a 12-week one-on-one, but they're both called Farm to Table. I have two versions of Farm to Table. Uh, but in the six-week Farm to Table live, I teach um, in week two, we have um, the lesson is entitled Lower Your Tolerance for Failure. Now, this is a lesson I learned from someone by the name of Courtney Saunders uh, many years ago. I follow Courtney, Courtney Saunders. She's uh, in the personal development space. Um, and I think she's phenomenal, right? She has a podcast. She has a brand. Um, and she is one, for me, um, kind of a, a mentor in my head. And I love Courtney Saunders. And so... She, I think it was on a podcast many years ago, she was talking about lowering your tolerance for failure. And so I've adopted this ideology um, because I thought, personally, I thought it was brilliant. Okay. So in Farm to Table, I teach this concept about lowering your tolerance for failure. And essentially what that means is when we think about pain tolerance, for example, this is the example that I use in my Farm to Table course. When we think about pain tolerance, we think about how much pain can I tolerate before I have to yell uncle or pineapples for the culture, right? Um, how much pain can I tolerate 
before I can't take any more, before I can't take another ounce of pain, how much can I tolerate? And that essentially is your pain tolerance, right? Some people say they have a high pain tolerance. Some people say they have a low pain tolerance. Well, when you think about failure tolerance, literally, what I say in front of the table is how many times can you quit, give up, or fail before it comes becomes too much, right? How many times can you quit, give up, or start over? Are the exact words I use in the course. How many times can you quit, give up, or start over before you can't take it anymore, okay? And the issue oftentimes with developing self-discipline, self-control, mastery, is that our failure tolerance is super high. We can fail, we can quit, we can give up, we can start over literally thousands of times. For some of us, it never becomes too much. We literally, some of us can go our whole lives never reaching a goal that we had, right? Whether that be losing the weight, starting the business, right? Repairing the relationship, changing the world. We, some of us have goals and things we want to attain. And some of us will go our entire lives failing at trying to do that. Now, don't get Failing here is not actively trying and realizing that that's not the solution. I'm talking about like failing because you're not putting your all into it, failing because um, you're dropping the ball somewhere, right? Failing because of fear, failing um, because you're just not tapping into that part of you that exists, right? I'm not talking about trying to cure cancer and you keep trying things and they're not working. Not that type of failure, right? So I want to make that distinction. But you're, you're steadily trying to cure cancer, right? So you, you keep trying new things. That's okay. That type of failure is okay, right? But some of us, we're like, I need to lose this weight. I need to get off these prescription drugs. And we keep failing at not giving. We know that giving up sugar or adopting a plant-based diet is more than likely going to be the solution to getting off of these high blood pressure pills. But we won't stop eating the sugar or we won't stop eating the chicken, the eggs, the beef and the yogurt. And so we keep failing at getting off the high blood pressure meds. That's what I'm saying, right? It's because you lack the discipline to stop eating the sugar. You lack the discipline to stick to a plant-based diet. And so you just keep failing over and over again at the same exact lesson, right? I'm not talking about failing at new lessons. I'm talking about old, old lessons. Okay. Okay. So we have to lower our tolerance for failure. And so one of the things I've been able to do is just that. Like I cannot tolerate failure in my life. Um, just how I said earlier that I feel guilt, embarrassment, and shame when I let myself down. When I fail at something, it hurts so bad that I refuse to feel that again. Okay. And so if I fail at my goal of, you know, finishing a challenge or um, creating a product and it not being successful, I, I have to go back and trace my steps and figure out where I went wrong so that I don't make that same mistake. Right. So I'll give you an example. I um, told you earlier that I'm a fan of the motivational speaker, Lisa Nichols. And I remember listening to one of her talks a couple years ago, and she was talking about her weight loss journey. And she was talking about the way she was able to lose a lot of weight is that she did workouts in like 
very, very small spurts. Like, like she did, she would like, I'll be in a airport about to catch a flight and I'll lunge through the airport. Or, you know, if I had like downtime or something, I would just do a quick workout, like five, six minutes. So she was basically saying she, part of her weight loss journey was doing like these micro workouts. And so I'm like, ah, that's going to be so attractive to people that people are going to love hearing that they can do these small workouts and still be successful, that you don't have to get dedicate a whole hour or even 30 minutes, right? And I was like, I'm going to create a whole product in my company um, about small, tiny workouts, right? And so that's exactly what I did. I went behind the scenes, y'all, and I created a workout, uh, a product because it came with more than just the workouts, but I created a product that was like these mini, mini workouts, like literally five minutes, right? From that day to this one, I've never sold. I've literally never sold one of those products, right? Um, and so I failed at Like I launched it. I put it up on the website. I did all the tech work on the back end, creating the checkout pages and, you know, creating, you know, all of the, the copy and the pictures and the you know, and oh, it was just, you know, the colors and I'm just branding this product like that. I can't even remember the name of it. This was early on when I first started my first company. And because um, this was all from listening to Lisa Nichols saying she lost weight through these mini workouts. So I'm like, I'm gonna create a mini workout product. And it failed like and nobody ever bought one literally ever. And um, it, it hurt. Like I'm like, I don't put all this time, energy, effort into this. Now, mind you, I, so, okay, I, I didn't put, I put all this time, energy and effort into this. And I'm like, I, there's no way I can't, I have to sell something in it. And I still never did. But when I, but the failure hurt so bad that it forced me to sit down and kind of evaluate where did I get, go wrong with creating this product. And I realized, and this was one of the major lessons that I teach to this day in my business coaching, the biggest mistake I made with creating that product. And the reason it failed is because I didn't verify um, that it was marketable. I didn't verify, I didn't get proof of concept, what we call proof of concept. So whenever you have an idea, you never want to completely create it before you get proof that somebody's going to buy it. Right. So I never, you know, started creating conversations around, you know, who would be interested in like these mini workouts, who would be, you know, who would buy, who would pay for this or look what I'm doing. I didn't, I didn't do it myself. So I never tested it. I never tested it for myself. And then I never got proof of concept. I literally just went into the cave, created something, came out and was like, now y'all buy this. Like I never proved that the market, market wanted this, at least my market, my little small market share that I had at the time in my company, I never proved that they wanted it. Right. So in order to not fail again, in order to not fail going forward by creating a product that doesn't have proof, proof of concept um, or proof of marketability, I've never done that again. I've never again created a product first before proving, proving that I had, you know, the, the client base for it, the customer base that somebody out there wanted to buy it. Okay. Like even with the plant-based certification that I'm creating now, right, I'm creating it very lightly, um, which means it, even when it launches, it won't be complete. And I'll explain that later, maybe in a business podcast, but I'm doing a very low light 
opening for my certification. Now, I've already got proof that people want it, though. Just me saying that, hey, guys, the, you know, Black Health Academy is creating a plant-based certification. I've literally got tons of responses, whether it be on social media, in my email directly with people saying, I want this. I can't wait to enroll. I, I want it, you know. And so I have proof that the even though there's other plant-based certifications out there, right, people want mine. So I'm like, okay, boom, my little corner of the market is ripe. They want to know. People are telling me I, I'm, I'm ready to financially plan with that. Please let me know when the pricing is available so I can financially put this money aside. Like people are going to adjust their budgets for my product. So I'm never going to make that mistake again where I don't have proof of where I don't have proof of concept. So again, my tolerance for failure is so low. Like I only need to fail one time at something before I'm ready to pivot the heck up out of that thing because I refuse to fail again. So I'm not going to make that same mistake again. So again, my tolerance for failure, my tolerance for failure is low. And because my tolerance for failure is low, um, that means that I am able to develop self-discipline around anything I'm trying to accomplish because I refuse to fail. Okay. So now I have three things here that I want to share with you um, that lowering my tolerance for failure helped me to do. Okay. Um, now lowering my tolerance for failure helped me to, um, this, what, what I'm about to give you is kind of three best practices that kind of helps me stay disciplined and helps me to make sure that if I fail, it doesn't happen again. Right. So once I lower my, um, Tolerance for failure, I develop mastery by doing three things. Okay, here we go. The first thing is creating the lion, right? And I think Dr. Eric Thomas has talked about this before. He's the number one motivational speaker in the world. And he's basically talked about creating that thing that's going to force you to do what you're supposed to do, right? I.e., discipline, right? So I'm going to give you an example. So these are three steps you can take to improve your discipline. And the first is Creating the lion and creating the lion means doing things like creating deadlines and commitments. So a deadline is the example I gave earlier. I've told my community that my certification program is coming out this summer. That's a deadline. I have a deadline. I literally have to the last day of summer to say, hey, guys, my plant-based certification is open for enrollment. I've created a deadline. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to give you this on a much smaller scale, much smaller scale. Even let's say, so I live in a downtown, a downtown Detroit. And so where I live, there's street parking. We got to pay for parking, right? If you don't pay for a parking spot, right? So I remember I was coming home one day um, after seeing morning clients. And I was like, shoot, I need to go back out later and go grocery shopping, right? Now, I know we needed groceries. I know I need to go grocery shopping. I also knew that once I get in the house, got settled, I might not have felt like going back out. So how did I create the lion in this very small example? I literally parked on the street in a parking spot and put money on the meter that was going to run out at a certain time so that I had to move my car. You get my meaning? So I created the lion in this case to force myself to stay disciplined. And keep my integrity, i.e. keep my word to myself to leave back out and buy groceries today. 
I created a scenario where I wasn't relying on my motivation or whether or not I felt like it. I literally relied on, I'm going to get a $45 parking ticket if I don't move my car by 3 p.m. Because I've put money in this meter until 3 p.m. So I created that lion because I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my feelings. Because if, if, I, if I had just parked in my regular parking spot where it was no consequences, I might have said, man, bump those groceries. They get bought when they get bought. Right. So sometimes if you know yourself, you have to create the lion. So those are two a big example, the certification deadline and a small example, just a parking meter. Right. Where I force myself to have to take action. OK. I also create the lion um, by creating goals for my lifestyle. Like, um, for example, there's a certain life I want to live. OK. That involves a lot of traveling and a lot of wine. Okay. And so I also create, um, I also keep my tolerance for failure low and my self-discipline high by knowing exactly what my lifestyle is going to cost me. And I don't mean just financially. I mean, cost me in time and, and, and attention. Like, you know, I want to live in this really nice loft, right? So I've already priced out lofts. I already know kind of the style that I want to live in, how much it's going to cost. I, I already know financially, currently, how much it costs to be me per month. Literally, I know exactly how much money I need to make every month um, to just maintain the life I currently live. Like that's a number. So I've literally sat down and done a research and done, done the study. I also have a formula um, based on my financial research, I also have a formula that tells me how much money I need to save to live comfortably in retirement based on the lifestyle I want to build for myself. So I have done research to know exactly what it's going to cost me and money, time and attention to live the life that I want to live. Right. And so I've, that is how I was able to create the lion because and on a small and a short term scale, you know, hey, I got to drop this product by this summer. And a long term scale, I want to live in X, Y, and Z. I want to drive X, Y, and Z. I want the type of life that allow affords me to do this. And so I cannot let my foot off the gas in my companies, right? I have to create opportunities and access to other people so that I can scale and grow this company so that I can essentially change the world by putting more brown people in positions in plant-based positions, but then also so that I can live the life I want to live, right? They both are equally important to me. And so I created the lion in that way. But maybe you have a general goal, like, well, you know, I would love to make a million bucks or I would love to be, you know, just make, you know, maybe a hundred thousand there. Maybe, maybe you just want to make half a million a year, right? But have you specifically done the research? Like, what would that living situation look like for you? Um, what would your day-to-day -day look like? And how, how do you have to grind today to get there eventually? Maybe you haven't done the research deep enough and created the lion in that specific way so that it forces you to be disciplined. So next time you are in the mood to splurge on online shopping, that figure should pop up in your head. Like, ah, if I spend this money on this, on this thing that I don't really need, it's kind of taking me off track, even though in my mind it might be off track and, you know, maybe just a $50 way, but that's a small a bunch of those add up. And so because you've made, you've done your research and you've created this lifestyle in your mind that you want to achieve, you can't afford to splurge on that $50 item online. So you have to create the lion. Okay. All right.
two other steps and then we're wrapping up. Let's take a sip. Okay. Second, second step in creating self-discipline after creating the lion is sharing my intentions, right? So sharing my intentions with people close to me, right? So just like I told my good friend um, who works with me at both my companies, I was like, I would love to um, pay you a salary or have you making enough money where you can stop working at the job that you currently have because you don't like it. And you can fully live out your purpose of teaching and instructing health and wellness, which you love and which you currently do for me now. And so my intention is to literally retire you from the job that you've been in for 10, 15, 20 years. I can't even remember how long she's been working there, but she doesn't love it. Okay. But she said she feels bound by it because of the benefits, because of the salary. And so I told her on a phone call one day, you know, my intention was to get her out of that job uh, through my company. Right. And now I could have just kept this in my mind and, and been like, man, it'd be so cool to position my friends and family, you know, to work for the Black Health Academy or work for Professionally Fit um, or work for Farm to Table. Um, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be so cool if I could do that. But I took that thing out of my head and put it in their ear. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> boy, oh boy. Not only did I do that, it hit different when they come back and when they bring it back up to you later. Like my friend said to me, like months later, she was like, man, Lisa, I believe when you said you wanted to retire me from my job and, you know, be able to allow me to make money in the Black Health Academy, man, I remember that. And, you know, I was just thinking, maybe you're right. Maybe that's what I need. And I was like, whoa, right. It like put weight on me. It literally put weight on me to stay the course. And again, not let my foot off the gas. So literally sharing my intentions um, with people is so scary, right? You're going public is so scary, but it is so powerful and productive, but only, but only if you've done step A, (laughs) which is develop integrity. Because if I didn't have the integrity to my word, I wouldn't care what I told her. It's like, girl, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just talking. It sounded good at the time. But no, that literally reverberates in the back of my mind. I've told my mom, I want to retire her, right? I've told my sister, I want I want my family working for the family business. I've literally told attendees at my lectures that I want to put Weight Watchers out of business. Like I am public with my intentions. And because I'm public with my intentions, it... Uh, it affords me the necessity of having to be self-disciplined in the work that I do and the products that I create and produce and making sure they're of high quality and I'm showing up in a certain way. It's so important because I've, you know, articulated my intentions to these people who I feel bound to, who I feel responsible to. But again, this step will only work if you have developed a high level of, in- of personal integrity. Okay, that's the caveat to this step. You have to develop that high level of integrity. Okay, step three in creating discipline. Step three, step three, final step, final step. And this one kind of goes back to what my therapist shared with me last week. Um, And that is pivoting when it makes sense. 
Okay. Just like she said, she said, Lisa, everything has not been going right for you. You silly girl. <laughs> you silly, silly girl. Everything has not been going right for you. You just have the discipline, the self-control, and you are able to navigate and pivot um, when necessary so seamlessly um, because you have, you know, basically built a, a, a strong foundation with all these characteristics and traits that allows you to navigate troubled waters so seamlessly that they don't even um, pop up a, a alert or trigger you in your life to say things are going bad. You don't even realizing you're pivoting. You're so smooth with it, right? I added that little bit on the end. She didn't say that. But I, I, that's how I feel. Like I'm pivoting so smoothly that there is no red flag coming up. There is no woe is, woe is me moment, right? If you uh, listen to the podcast religiously, then you know my co-host Jay, she hates woe is me. She hates when people live in a woe is me space. Like, no, don't get me wrong. You have your, your space to be emotional, to be sad, to grieve, to be angry, but you do not get to live there, right? And so when things go wrong for me, I don't even lack the ability to live in woe is me because I'm so busy problem solving. Like I'm on the, like I'm boom, what research needs to be done? Boom, what, you know, who do I need to hire? Who do I need to fire? Who, who do I need to have a conversation with, right? Like what do I need to do to solve this problem so we can keep this thing moving so the train stays on schedule we are not going to get off schedule with our life goals our career goals our health goals just because we had a bump in the road and so I've built such a solid foundation on that ideology that when things come up I pivot so smoothly that I'm able to go tell somebody that everything in my life is perfect like girl no it's not no it's not right but that pivot is so strong Right. My pivot game is so strong. And so that's one of the ways that I've developed self-discipline is because I can just pivot. It's like what what needs to happen now? Mind you, I said pivot when it makes sense. And let me let me make that make sense for you um, in this final step as we begin to wrap up. It means when I pivot, whether it be in my business and my health and my relationships, whatever, it's not, it's never me running. It's never, you know, me doing something out of fear. It has, it makes sense because it's based on facts and not feelings. Okay. And so a prime example will be moving your business online during the pandemic, right? The, the world is literally shut down. People aren't meeting in person. Businesses are closing. I couldn't hold my farm to table classes in person in the designated spaces that I had in Metro Detroit. And so I quickly had to pivot an upcoming class that I had uh, to online, right? And I was committed to not giving refunds. I'm like, no, I'm about to deliver this product. I'm about to deliver this service that I promised individuals. Um, and um, I had one person ask for a refund, right? We're talking about over $500 refund for this course. And I was able to pivot her and convince her to do the virtual class, which she had a phenomenal time and she loved. Um, but I was, I, I, I immediately, once I realized we weren't meeting in person when the world was shutting down, um, I immediately emailed all the students that I had enrolled, like, here's your options. Here's three options. You can either take it one-on-one -on -one with me and I won't charge you more. Uh, you can take it virtually online or you could do this, right? I, I immediately drafted an email. I gave three options since we couldn't meet in person and everybody responded and told me what option they want. Lisa, I'll take option number one. Lisa, I'll take option number two. And I pivoted each one of those students, right, into another option where I was able to still deliver my course, right, and keep it moving. I didn't 
go crawl into a hole and figure out how I was going to refund thousands of dollars to these students. No, I quickly problem solved. Right. And so my ability to pivot that quickly, my company was a lifesaver. Right. We haven't went under. And not only have we pivoted, you know, we've developed a whole nother product out of this. Right. The virtual class, because me personally, I prefer to teach the classes in person almost indefinitely because I wanted to have a chef who was going to prepare the food. I needed people to taste the food. And I just think in person is like one of the best ways to deliver this content because the content is so dense. But after the pandemic happened, it was like we had to do this first class online. And it was like, man, that went so smooth and so phenomenal. And moreover, I was able to get people enrolled who weren't local, even though I knew that was a uh, um, a drawback of doing it in person. I was like, well, I'll just create <laughs> instructors and have in-person classes throughout the nation. Right. Because um, I know, you know, one of the benefits of obviously doing stuff online is people can be anywhere in the world. But I wanted personally for my product for Farm to Table, I wanted that experience for people to be in person. And so I was just committed to basically building out this brand so that we had instructors in every state. But we had to pivot because of the pandemic. And um now, you know, we have a schedule of virtual classes for the remainder of the year. And even after the world opens back up, we will continue to do virtual farm to table live classes because I didn't think I can pull it off in such a phenomenal way that I did the first time by making it super interactive and engaging. You know, who wants to sit on an online class for two and a half hours? But we did it. And the the. And I and I know we did it not because I think I'm great, but literally because of the reviews and the feedback that I got. From all of our students, we had 18 students in this spring virtual class. And so people loved it. They didn't want it to end. They were like, six weeks is too short. I lost weight. I'm getting, I'm off of meds. I feel amazing. I'm like, oh my God, I was able to deliver these same results virtually that I thought I could only do in person. And so, you know, my ability to quickly pivot. And again, this on in and of itself could probably be a whole nother episode because my ability to problem solve and stuff like that comes with kind of how I take care of my body and my brain. Like the way I was able to access solutions in my brain, I attribute to a couple of other things that I probably need to share. But hey, let's not get off track here. Let's stick to discipline. Um, and so that is my third step. The reason I, again, was able to, you know, I'm able to have this level of self-discipline and self-control is because of these three things. The first two top things is number one, I have a high level of integrity, personal integrity, again, not just with how I show up for other people, but how I show up for myself, very high level of uh, personal integrity. And then number two, I have a very low tolerance for failure, very low tolerance for failure. Um, So I was able to master those two things. And from those, I drew three key lessons, um, three key things that I do to maintain this level of self-discipline. And that's one, I create the lion. Two, I share my intentions. And number three, I pivot when it makes sense. And again, making sense is based on facts, not feelings. Okay, so I don't pivot because I'm like, I'm scared I won't be successful, so I shouldn't do this. No, I pivot because the world is shutting down. I literally can't do this and I need to make a change to stay afloat. Okay, so facts, pivoting is based on facts, not feelings. Right. So that means I, I've crunched the numbers or I've you know met some red tape. You know, I'm being pushed up against this law or or something. Right. Like I is I literally can't go this way. So I have to pivot and go this way. Right. It's not based on a feeling. It's based on facts. OK. And so. 
Um, that's, that's it. That's it on self-discipline. Listen, this is a podcast. I ain't got to wrap this up all sexy. Look, that's what it is. Right. And so we're, I've been on for an hour and 14 minutes. Let me know if this kind of resonated. Um, did I hit the nail on the head with something for you? Did I trigger something for you? Um, did it, did it spark a thought? Did your thoughts go down a rabbit hole, uh, of your life? Like mine often do. I would love to know, you know, because, um, I used to really think foolishly that my self-discipline, I was just born with it. And it was like, no, it was created through these occurrences in my life, right? Through failing, through other people letting me down and me not wanting to be that person um, or through the feelings I get when, when being faced with my students and me telling them something um, and me, you know, really feeling like it. I do. I don't want to follow anybody who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. So I don't want people to follow me if I don't do what I teach. Right. And so my self-discipline comes from, you know, all these various um, areas. And um, that was a huge self-discovery for me in these past couple of weeks. So I wanted to come on and share it with you guys. So that has been episode six in obedience, the podcast inside of a podcast. I'm Lisa A. Smith, the founder of the Black Health Academy. And I look forward to meeting you back here next month with episode seven of Obedience. Take care.